Hey friends, welcome to This Good Word. On today's episode, I interviewed Sarah Heath who is the host of a new podcast called Sonderlust, which I am addicted to, which is why I wanted to interview her. And this podcast called Sonderlust is all about a 52-week experience that she is undergoing where uh, she is examining her own sonder, which is a word that basically means you look at other people's lives as it relates to your own and you feel like something is definitely missing. And so Sonderlust is this feeling, not quite FOMO, it's more than FOMO, that even though things are going quite well for you, you you have this experience that something's missing. Uh, so this podcast is crazy. It's so good. I love it so much. And then when I talked to Sarah, I felt like we were like immediate best friends. <laughs> She's also the author of a book called What's Your Story? And you're going to love her as much as I do. Enjoy Sarah Heath. Sarah... I am so glad to have you on, and I've been dying to do this uh, to do this interview for weeks. So, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Please don't die. I'm good. I'm really good. I just, uh, you know, I just came back from the beach, so that's always good. I'm always in a good place. That is, yeah. And so, Sarah, you are from Canada, and then yep. you lived in the South, which is like a move do. that yep. most Canadians probably make. And yeah. now you're a I pastor in Orange County. So like, yeah. I mean, that's it's totally, super... it's just, you know, when you, they ask you to like write down kind of like your, your vision board, this is exactly yeah. what most people. So we moved from, I lived in Northern Ontario. I was uh, born in Newfoundland, like you do. And then I moved to Northern Ontario and then we moved as a family to uh, Mississippi. Um, and my parents still live in Mississippi. My brother lives in Alabama and then I went to grad school in North Carolina and thought, uh, I don't really know that I fit in here. And I loved, I love the Southeast. I really do. But uh, I moved to uh, California right after grad school. So I've been out here almost 13 years. And you are, so did you go to Duke? Is that where you went? Duke I, Divinity School? Yeah. 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 That's where I went. Um, yeah. And you're a pastor at a um, United Methodist Church that's is it a church plant? Is it a restart? What is it? Yes. Um, it's both. <laughs> all those things. So it's all of those things. So it, uh, it started in 1912 and they are one of the like oldest churches. Well, they are the oldest church in Costa Mesa and we have one of the oldest buildings in Costa Mesa. So the building's actually from 1927. Uh, and it's in the heart of this really cool city, but, um, Unfortunately, they had died down to about 17 to 27 people in attendance in this like big, beautiful, like Spanish mission style uh, church that has beautiful stained glass windows. And so um, I kind of have some experience in sort of church planting and not church planting per se, but sort of working with churches to sort of uh, readjust their sales. And so they asked me if I would be interested in kind of doing a new start there. And I kind of, with the help of some folks, realized, like, we don't want to shut this down. Like, we don't want to get rid of the folks that are there, the legacy that has been part of the community. But there's a lot of DNA that has to be changed. So because I'm crazy, I did the crazy thing of, new, like, restarting a church, which is, like, if you read any book, they'll be like, don't do this. And that is exactly what I did. And uh, God's insane and crazy. So it's been going really well, but it's been a lot of work. But, yeah, we... Uh, we restarted a church. Wow. Who knew you could? Man. No, I mean, I I also have started a church, but I did not restart a church, which I yeah. agree. Like that, that process of navigating <laughs> people's anxiety, basically. So uh, I had this, I work at a co-working space because um, they tore down, like the, the story's epic. So they tore down all the buildings around the church. So there's just the church so that we could have a parking lot because we had no parking lot because they had sort of uh, these agreements, like gentlemen's agreements between uh, different buildings around. Well, then the city grew up around it. And so no longer could we park in the places that we had been parking. And so they built these buildings with the understanding they would always have the parking at the school. Well, now the school's gone and there's a huge corporate building. So they had nowhere to park. And so really they had 12 parking spots. So when I came in, I had made, I made none of these decisions. So they sold the parsonage, they tore down all the buildings. We literally just have a sanctuary, just a sanctuary. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so it's been this uh, weird sort of 
rebirth thing. But people, you know, people often say to me, like, Sarah, I thought that church was closed. And it wasn't. It's just that it was in kind of disrepair. And like right before I got there, someone threw a brick through our like most well-known stained glass window. So it was like boarded up. Mm. But I, so I work in this co-working space. And for the first couple of months, whenever I would come into my office, <laughs> they would say, Sarah, they don't hate you. They hate change. <laughs> because <laughs> every day I'd be like, uh, what if we tried this? And people, you know, some of the folks that have been there for a long time were really invested in the way that it was going. And, uh, which wasn't necessarily what we were able to continue doing. And so um, it, it was, it's been a painful and incredible year. And then I had a book come out and I started a podcast because what I like to do is just spread myself as thin as possible. <laughs> so like most people are like, planting a church will take your entire life. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> well, I, okay. So I have listened to every episode of your podcast. So I know, um, much more about you through that. So I know, and we're going to talk about the Enneagram, but you're okay. a two wing three, right? Is yeah. that, is that, so yeah. I'm a three and I, I'm a three with a three wing. I mean, I like truly, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so if you have a strong three wing for sure, uh, I get it. Like we just want to keep we want to keep doing new things and we have the ability to kind of do them quickly and well. And so, you know, I think, I think that's, I think that's part of what drives the exhaustion and also the sort of addiction to keep, um, keep saying yes to these exciting things. Cause they are, I mean, they're great yeah. and we can kind of do them. And, but then, you know, I, I wake up one day, honestly, like Friday, I'm doing fine. Saturday, I'm sucking my thumb and wailing, you know, in the corner, <laughs> like I fall off the edge. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's, I get there. That's not, well, a good I think that's button. kind of, I think that was kind of the, the whole point of the whole podcast for, for me. So I have this podcast that talks about this lifestyle stuff because my best guy friend, we've been friends for, gosh, like almost like probably 11 years, 12 years maybe. And he, uh, he's just watched the craziness and watched me uh, really try to do all things and be all things to all people. Cause the problem with me is I'm a two with a three. So like I want to do all the things, but I want to make sure everyone else is okay while I do all the things. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it, it's just a, it's an internal struggle and battle. And so he, he's the one who was like, yeah, you need to change your life. Like it's not, this is not good. And so, well, yes, yeah. I mean like, like talk about your podcast, talk about Sonderlust, yeah. what it means and then yeah. uh, if you would, sort of those four challenges that he gave you. Absolutely. So Sonderlust is, uh, well, Sonder is a word that a lot of poets have been using and it actually made it into the dictionary. Um, Sonder means the moment or the realization that everyone else is living a separate life than you. So like when you're in your car and all of a sudden you realize like everyone around you is living a different story, a different life. Sometimes that's like when you experience trauma and you're around people and all of a sudden like you realize that all these lives have been going on and you're not a participant in it or their story and how they see things is totally different. So that's Sonder. Now Sonder Lust is me <laughs> and most of us who go, oh, I want that story or why don't I why doesn't my life look like that? Or why doesn't my life look like this? So um, on my birthday this year, I turned 37 and I realized that um, for as achievement driven as I have been, my life doesn't look the way I want it to. Um, I always thought I would be married and have kids and that, you know, I would, I don't know what I thought I would do acting. I had all these dreams and things that I wanted to do. Well, uh, as I'm turning 37, I go see the doctor and they're like, you know, like you might want to think about like whether or not you want to have kids because you're going to have a geriatric pregnancy. And you're like, what with the who? Um, <laughs> and thanks for using and the word geriatric. Thank geriatric. you so much. Yeah. Loving that. Also, I haven't gone on a date in a year, so that's probably no, <laughs> um, no, that wasn't true, but close. Um, and so I think there was just this idea of, uh, I create these spaces as a pastor for people to have these phenomenal or hopefully like meaningful experiences for themselves and their families. And on, you know, the, the image I use for people who try to understand, cause they look at me and they're like, Sarah, you have so many friends. Like you're always going, you're speaking all over. Like how, how could you possibly have this sense of Sonderlust? And I said, well, think about Christmas Eve. 
I work so hard on that service to create space and just this sacred space for people and this beautiful family moment. But I'm sitting alone on a pew. And after you guys go home with your families and tuck your kids in or do whatever you do, um, I go home alone um, and often have a white Russian uh, alone and prepare my suitcase so that I can fly and see my um, brother has two kids and I love to spend Christmas uh, as much as I can with them. So like, that's kind of sad. <laughs> like if you think about it, like, I mean, some of it's lovely. And for my friends who are like, yeah, I'm putting toys together. That sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it is, it's like, yeah, I, I love so much of my life, but it's not, I think I accidentally became a nun. I think I accidentally <laughs> became a workaholic. Yeah. Um, and so some of that has to do with my Enneagram for sure. So I did what I always do, which is I call my best friend and he is like just a ridiculous human. And like he, <laughs> so my best friend, I don't know if we even talk about it on the podcast, but my best friend is six foot nine. You he, do not talk about that on the podcast, yeah. but but so, somehow that comes through. Like my, yeah. my only complaint, Sarah, of the podcast is there's not enough John because he oh, is wait. just He's so... Coming. He's, He's coming. So, okay, good, good, good. He's really hard right now to get uh, tied down because he work, he travels for work. So, and also a lot of our conversations have to be edited um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. severely. So, um, <laughs> so my best friend is six foot nine. We got kicked out of a Bible study together when we were younger. Um, and that's how we kind of met. We were in a small group and they basically were like, you guys um, could make space for people who would maybe take it more seriously. Um, and so that's our, we love to tell people that we got kicked out of yes. um, a small group together, me as a pastor and him as a pastor's kid. So he's six foot nine. He used to play pro basketball in Europe. Um, if you imagined Will Ferrell uh, and Owen Wilson having oh a love gosh. child, it would be John as far as personality. Wow. <laughs> like He's just this like, but he's also very, very deep. And most people, there's actually an episode where my best girlfriends who, you know, they've known John forever are like, I didn't know he's so deep. And he mm. is, he's just an incredibly intelligent and intuitive person. Um, that doesn't always show, but, uh, he, you know, when I called him on my birthday and I just said, I can't keep going like this. And he said, no, no, you can't. And so he said, there are four areas of your life I want to challenge you in. And so I had already been talking about doing a podcast about, and we were going to call it like the accidental nun or no sex in the city or just something like really funny like that. And as him and I started talking, I realized like, no, I want to do a podcast that has a, a time frame, So a year, because otherwise I won't focus on it. I won't pay attention to it. I won't try to live these things out. So we decided on a year because he said, here's the deal. If you don't change your life in a year, Sarah, I'm moving you and you don't get to decide where. Yeah. And by the way, my bishop loved that. Um, <laughs> I could tell you that I met that it's the name Booba. So like literally I, I got some phone calls and I was like, well, guys, like really like the matter is like, am I happy here? And I don't think you want to pastor in a space in a place where they're not happy. And like in the reality, is John probably going to move me? Probably not. I hope not. He might. He's so unpredictable. He might. But so the four areas are these. I had to love where I live. So I like where I live. I live in uh this amazing area of California. Everyone's like, we feel really bad for you. We're just at the beach. But I live in like the super family area. You know, John's joke is that I bought a minivan and I don't have any kids. Like I live in, I don't actually drive a minivan, but I live in a very family oriented area. I own my condo. Um, there is no nightlife here. There is no, it's like the suburbs, yeah. right? And it's about, about 25 to 30 minutes away from my work. So even like my work is in a very vibrant area, but where I live is this very sleepy right. area. Right. And I live in like what's called a carriage unit, which means like there's no one above, no one below. Like it's a, it's a little house and it's, I have a roommate and he's great, but you know, it's not, there's not a lot of community. So I got to love where I live. The, the second thing is that I have to I have friends outside of work uh, because I tend to, uh, because I'm a church planter and have that sort of church revitalization thing, I tend to hang out with people that um, either like I hang out with them and I think we're like really good friends and then they start coming to my church yeah, <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. or, you know, I met them at church cause I work a lot. Um, so there's that I had to have friends outside of work and then I had to go on dates, which was really uh, 
scary for me and uh, difficult. I'd gone through quite a, a traumatic season of heartbreaks where John was like, you got to like, it's not that I needed to get over that as far as the people, but I needed to get over the experiences because it has been really difficult for me to trust that the story could be anything but what it's been. Um, it's Live Where I Live. Oh, and I had to love my job, not just like it. Um, because being a United Methodist clergy member takes a lot out of you. And he was like, you like it and you're good at it, but that doesn't mean you should be doing it. And that I think was very um, scary for people to hear. But I think that we need to start being honest about it and honest about what it really means to be a clergy member and how difficult it can be and how isolating. And so that was the start of our podcast. And so what we did is I talked to a bunch of people who are experts in different fields. And then we kind of became aware that the store, like the podcast itself was taking on a life of its own. And so, um, just as things were happening, like I went on Tinder, I went on like all these things that just have been so kind of pushing me out of my comfort zone. And as that was happening, we would talk to different experts or I had the experience of Twitter trolls and the craziness of what it means to have a public voice. And so then talking to my friend who that's his story. And then we realized that a lot of what I've been going through is based on my Enneagram. So then we talked to someone about that. And, um, and now we're at a place where we just have a lot of listeners. And so we needed to kind of up, up our, uh, product, I guess, our production value. And so also the girls who worked with me on this podcast are some of my really good friends. And they just got to a place where they couldn't, you know, they didn't have the time to edit anymore. And they didn't, because they're learning how to do it. Like no one knew what they were doing. Um, literally, we're like, let's just make a podcast. Um, and so even though my friends are famous podcasters and they laugh at me for not coming to them, but I was like, no, like I want to, I want to just kind of do this in sort of this organic sort of raw way. And I was thinking like, some people would like it, but we have um, a substantial number of listeners and they're, I, we think, I don't know how to do all that either, by the way. So uh, as of the last month, because we're six months in and it, it was just a really traumatic season from about Christmas on, my life just hasn't been, uh, it's been really chaotic. I was really sick, like all this stuff happened. And I kind of laugh because I wrote a book about Joseph Campbell's hero's narrative and, and looking at the Bible and how um, quite often the characters in the Bible go through a similar thing. And I'm like, oh, that's what this is. <laughs> like yeah, I'm in the middle. Yeah. I'm the part of the story where I'm learning, you know, I'm halfway through, if you will, our Sonderlist experiment. And uh, it's been really hard. And so now we're kind of rebooting and it's, you know, catching some steam and I'm excited about it. But like even today, I've got a bunch of meetings about marketing and uh, it's crazy. People are asking me to like sponsor their earphones and it's just like the weirdest, yes. like, like a pastor who has like sponsors. I'll wear stickers like, like the cars do. Yes. Like, oh my <laughs> gosh. Well, you know, as you're talking and even as we were talking before we hit record, Sarah, I think yeah. you were kind of laughing about the fact that I'm not really your target audience. I'm a married pastor, you know, 47 years old. But I think one of the reasons why I love it is because you expose Part of what's hard about a pastor's life is that our relational circles are very conflicted and confusing. Yeah. I think sometimes they're, you know, the non-mutuality of it is hard because yeah. we create intimate spaces for people, both in worship, but also at coffee shops and over yeah. beers. And we have a sense of meaning in that and a sense of purpose in that, but it can also be incredibly lonely because... There's a sense of like, okay, I'm not, I'm your pastor, not really your friend. And I don't even really want to be your friend, but maybe you think, I mean, and I'm, I, I'm like, I'm not, I mean, I'm saying <laughs> now I'm <laughs> well, like, for me, like I'm a, I'm a solid too. So I actually want to be your friend. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. And I like, I want to like be there for you. I want to support, you know, that's just, but I can't maintain all these para relationships. Right. Like I can't. Right. There's no way that I can keep all these people, um, you know, and, and the truth of it is I let them down. I let them down a oh, lot. For sure. Because, yeah. And I have cried a lot over the last year. I think the sentence that, you know, Dane Cook says we all get to a point where we like grab the carpet and we cry out, I did my best. Yeah. Um, like every human, <laughs> yeah. so he says every human does that. I think my 
thing that I get to or the weird sentence that I say most when I'm in grief is I just want to be a human. Mm -hmm. Why can't I be a human? Because when I let people down, the way they feel about it is so extreme. Yeah. When I go through something, sometimes it's not recognized or seen. You know, recently I, I had surgery and there was stuff going on at the church and there was no space for me to be in pain. There was no space for me to be like, I can't deal with this right now because I literally am dealing with physical pain and I am dealing with also the emotions of a, of, you know, a difficult thing going on in my own life. And having these people uh, who love and care about me, it's not that they don't love and care about me, it's just that they think of me as almost not a superhero, but as someone like, no, this is your job, you're the lead pastor, I need you to, you need to do this thing. And I think that's the part that uh, has been so normalizing for people. Um, You know, I have a a board where I keep, people write me actually handwritten letters, which is rad. So I have all these letters on this board and they're not from pastors. They're from people who like, one's a vet, one's a professor, you know, these people who, um, say to me, like, I, I get it. I, I want to be a human, but I'm expected to, you know, when the veterinarian, she said, I have this job that everyone thinks is so prestigious and, and she's also married and has kids. And she said, but you're the first person who's letting me say, I don't love it. I don't love all the parts of it. I don't love, um, you know, having to constantly be gracious to people. I don't, you know, I want to be a human. And I think that's the, we put people on a pedestal to a point where they cannot be a person and we do it to celebrities. We do it to pastors and they let us down in ways that every other person is allowed to, and we make space for. And so that's, I think where a lot of the audience has come from is people going, okay, I feel this way in my own life, or I feel really uneasy about the way my life turned out. And I want to figure out how to be content because I think that's really the key. I think to getting rid of Sanderless is being content with a lot of the spaces and places that you already are. But I wanted to fight so hard for where I was with John. Like that's the back and forth with us. Um, I also have a picture of him flipping me off on this board. So nice. that helps me too. Perfect. Um, yeah, we went, we went to this really fancy uh, wine event called Taste for the Cure, which is for breast cancer. My mom's a two-time survivor. And so I'm really passionate about this. We got all swanky dressed up. And then we went in the photo booth, and it is like the funniest photos. He's like flipping me off. He looks like he's strangling me. I look like I'm punching him. And that's our, that's our, that basically sums up our entire friendship. Um, we are there for each other 100%, but we also pick on each other a lot. I think it's this beautiful... Um, I don't know. I didn't realize that even starting Sonderless, how many people would want to join in on the challenge. So that's actually one of the shifts that we're making now is that we're pulling people into the challenges with us. So we have a Facebook group where we're like, Hey, I want to hear, cause it used to be about me, but any story that's just about you is boring. So it's like, I want to like, what, what are you doing to in the yeah. next 52 weeks, change your life? What are you doing? Cause it might not even be that you're changing your life, but you're learning to love parts of your life. Like I don't want life to just happen to me and the people around me. Like I want to have chosen the places and spaces that I am. So yeah, that's a long explanation of Sonderless, but there it is. And turns out it's becoming a really popular word. Like Seth Godin, like we launched the podcast and then two weeks later, Seth Godin came out with like this whole thing about it. And I was like, Seth stole my idea. (laughs) I don't think that's how it happened. Hey friends, we'll get right back to the podcast, but I wanted to let you know if you want to know more about anything that I've done, well, not anything, but my books, my blog, the other podcast episodes, head over to steveweens.com and you can find everything you need. Also, if you want to support me on patreon.com, just go to patreon.com slash thisgoodword. And if you support me for as little as $2 a month, you'll get lots of benefits, fun, fun stuff. Okay, now let's get back to the podcast. Um, you know, I, I think, um, no, thank you for that long explanation and, and, and for some of the ways in which that it's affected you because so clearly it has. And I think yeah. that's why it works because if you didn't let it affect you and if it didn't get a life of its own, it would just be a gimmicky, you know, FOMO thing that sort of feels like yeah. a costume you're trying on, you know, versus like, no, that breakup really did suck. And I really uh, did get yeah. sick. Publicly breaking up with someone was awful. That, I mean, that was, that was, I mean, in a, in a little way, that was like, 
painful to hear because clearly you can't, you don't want to give details, but there's a sense of like, probably you gotta give enough detail for it to make sense to even include it. And, um, but thank you for even going there. Cause I think that was really, well, the fact that I have a dating life is so weird for people. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, well, I so about it, like, do you have to enter in, like, do you have to put an agreement? Like I, I'm the Sandra Lust person and you're about to date me. And so anything that we do may be included in the podcast. <laughs> well, for me, it was really hard because I was dating more than one person right. and I wasn't like, and not very long because I can't do it. Like right. that's a big discovery for me is I think as a two, as someone who gets really invested in people's lives. And now I'm in a pattern where I'm realizing that I have returned to my old pattern where I'm kind of, as John says, I build a house in, in my past. Like yeah. I put walls up, I sit in there. And I think be, because this was a, a a real relationship, it was a profound relationship for me. Um, and I think for him, um, going through a breakup and then having to like explain it while you're in the midst of it, uh, that was really painful. Trying to protect his privacy, yeah. um, knowing that knowing that some of his friends listen to the podcast, that was hard. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's ever listened since we broke up, um, but it, and and also because I wasn't the one who wanted to break up, um, yeah. and because it came out of for me it came out of nowhere like I did not see that coming at all. Um, it it was very painful and it took me a couple of days even to like because the the three in me if we talk about the enneagram in a minute but the three in me wanted to act like it didn't happen. Yeah. Or wanted to rebrand it yeah. or, you know, is there a way that I can just like say, oh yeah, we're not seeing each other, but well, no, the reality of it is like he straight up broke up with me. Um, and, and I don't always understand his reasons and I still don't. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, we have a lot of mutual friends and, or mutual people, not friends, but mutual people. Uh, and you know, they're as confused as I am. Yeah. Um, you know, he now lives in my city. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, but we haven't seen each other and we're going to, and it'll be great, I'm sure. And to, you know, there's so much, he's such a, I just respect him so much. I was recently on a podcast being interviewed and one of the podcast hosts was just like, so into the, like understanding my dating life. Um, I think part of that is I don't look like a pastor. And so people are very surprised at dating, you know, it was not difficult for me when I was younger and then has become like epically difficult. And, uh, and so they, they, he was so fascinated with, he kept trying to get, he was like, well, was he good looking? Well, was he this? And I was like, <laughs> can we just not? And then at the end of the podcast, I'm not kidding you. This guy asked me out one of the hosts and oh, I was like, Lord. uh, are you really doing like, what is happening? Like, uh, after the podcast, during the podcast, doesn't during, matter during mid, wow. mid. Right, and I so was just like, I've never said Nope. So fast about it. Like, Nope. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I think, um, so the Enneagram three, we, we do, we avoid failure at all costs because mm -hmm. it me, any, any failure is a direct hit to our self-worth. And so I can totally imagine how, uh, you were genuinely tempted to be mostly honest, you know, because that's the other thing we do is we know how to be mostly, mostly truthful, honest. Mm -hmm. kind of manipulate, kind of shade, stretch the truth a little bit. We're not lying. We're just not we're just rebranding it. I mean, you said it well. Yeah. And I think even, and Sarah, maybe I was reading in between the lines, but I don't think I was like some of the way you explain that is that there was even some like spirituality stuff there that he was saying, yeah, uh, boy, this doesn't match. Or I, I wish you were more like this. And yeah. right. And so as a pastor, I just, I just was like, oh, oh. man, I hurt for you right there. Um, yeah. was I, was I reading that right? Or was that you were, you were reading that right? Yeah. So he is, uh, he's clergy, a member in a different, uh, brand of Christianity. Um, you know, different denomination. He's not, um, he, uh, I think for him, uh, there was some, what he perceived as big differences in how we see, uh, faith lived out. And for me, that's like actually something I get excited about. I love being around people of difference. Um, but I think I was, because of the challenge, because of trying to see if this was the guy, um, I think I came across more closed than I actually am. Mm. You know, I said some things that were, yeah, that I, I kind of regret, like that I sort of set these boundaries and statements like, you need to think this way, or mm. 
you're wrong and things like that. And if you know me, that's just not me. Um, but I think I was, I don't know. I so badly wanted to, uh, make sure that this was a safe person for, for all these things. And so he's, you know, in a place where he's working through all that stuff. He's also, you know, he's a clergy member too. Um, he's an executive pastor of a church plant, um, in the same city as me, by the way, you're welcome. Awesome. I know. And, you know, I actually don't think that's uh, a huge problem, uh, for me. It wasn't because our communities are going to be so different, uh, just because of who is drawn to what we're doing. It's a very like eclectic, very, you know, we're, um, affirming as a church, which is different in Costa Mesa for sure. And so our community is very different. You know, I always say I'm the pastors of the nuns and duns, like people who never wanted to be Christian, not interested, think it's weird. And the duns people like the number of M divs I preach to on in a week is (laughs) insane. It makes my sermons real scary. Um, so yeah, there was some of that and I just, I just so respect him. And I just think he is uh, an incredible person. And I think I was projecting this like super, um, almost like overly, uh, I don't know. Um, I don't even know. I feel like I was just projecting this very progressive person. And while parts of me are, um, that's not all of me. And so he wasn't getting to see the super Jesus-y side yeah. um, because I, I was so, uh, yeah, I was just in a space of like trying to, figure out who and what I am. So I, I kind of, I lament a little bit that we met each other in this season. Um, but I, you know, I don't regret dating him for sure. He was so outside of my norm. And that was the other part I think is that I finally let a, a, a great person in. Mm-hmm. And so then when it was his choice to walk away, it was very surprising for me having, like I met his friends like a couple weeks before that. And they were all like, no, like you're, he like talked about you constantly Mm -hmm. before you guys got together. And I think it was hard for me to, to not feel as if you're a huge deal, but now that I know you, I don't want that. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, that's been a a lot of the pain of being a a three has been people's excitement with me, uh, excitement with what I'm capable of. And then sort of this idea of feeling then abandoned when, you know, after you've done performing or after you've fulfilled what they needed, there is that sense of, but now I am alone. And so if I just go from achievement to achievement, then I'll never be alone. Because I think a lot of the Enneagram is really uh, us searching for worth and not to be alone, you know? Yeah. Well, and I said like a true two. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the way I, I mean, I love the Enneagram. Um, I think it's such a helpful tool. Partly because it exposes mm. all my bullshit, but it yeah. also it also says, but your bullshit is part of what's beautiful about you and you can't mm. have one without the other. You know, like you can't be you can't be the way you are, all the good things about you without being honest about and even to some extent embracing some of the bullshitty stuff that is shadow. You know, like you don't you don't get to just fix all that and then have the stuff that's great about you be even better. <laughs> You know, <laughs> well, I would say like for sure in this in this relationship and season and what we went through together is that I met my shadows like so a, a two goes to an eight mm-hmm. in, yeah, in stress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I was stressed out with work. I was stressed out like there was a lot going on with um, HR stuff at the church I work at. There was just a lot. I was under pressure that I didn't even realize I was. Um, and then my health was. Um, reacting to that as well. And so I was just in this place of stress and I went to a solid eight where I just was like questioning and just constantly. And especially for someone uh, like him who is, he's a nine. Oh, mama. (laughs) And he's like super aware of the Enneagram and he really knows he's a nine with a one wing. And he was just like, I, I just like, he had all these conversations in his head that I didn't know he was having. Yeah. Um, and so for him, it was very not out of the blue, but for me, man, it was, it was kind of out of the blue, uh, and continues to be like, how is this even possible? But, um, you know, I'm, I'm realizing too that, yeah, my eight was roaring and, and I don't know that I love 
I don't love that part of me. And I also need to integrate that part and say like, hey, when I'm under stress, like I had a really crazy meeting recently where I went to this pastor's gathering and it turned into a right wing rally, which was really confusing for me. <laughs> and um, I'm also the only female lead clergy member that um, comes Goes to these to the meeting. things. Oh, my. Yeah. So they're all looking at me like a, like I, it was like a prairie dot experience where like all these guys are like popping their head up and looking at me like, is she okay? Mm. Uh, what's going to happen? Yeah. Is she going to light on fire? What is happening? Yeah. And it was so uncomfortable, but I went, I go to this place in my head where I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, I kind of belittle, uh, people like, oh, you know, well, they don't have the education or they're so backwards or all this sort of stuff. And then I was like, no, Sarah, that's not your heart. Yeah. Right. And so I was able to engage with some of the folks afterwards and just you know, like they engaged with me and I was able to say like, Hey, uh, I went to my, my two and was like, I want to be in relationship with you, but here are the ways that you have harmed that. Yeah. And, and it has been one of the coolest, uh, couple of weeks in ministry I've ever had, like people chatting with me about where I'm, where I come from, where my, um, theology comes from, whether or not I just see, I think sometimes progressives or those of us who have more, and I don't even know that I would call myself a, a true progressive because true progressives also have like the idea of the resurrection is yeah, like a meh, maybe, mm -hmm. um, for me that's, I'm still Orthodox, but I do have sort of a social progressive slant. But I think when I was in a place of stress in the last couple of months, I acted as if I just contextualized the whole Bible. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And that's actually not true. I, I love the Bible. I just wasn't willing to engage in that conversation. And so it has been really neat. I feel as though God has done this weird thing where people I never thought would come talk to me about, hey, how did you get here? Hmm. And then how can I how can I use the right language? How can I be a pastor to people when I have been told my whole entire training that this is not, these people don't love Jesus. And yeah. now I'm discovering, wait a minute. And so I've been in these spaces and places with people that I never thought. And that's part of Sonderless as well as like realizing the unique giftedness and kind of place I have where I'm disarming. Like yeah. people don't expect me to be a, a lead pastor who has her master's of divinity from an Ivy league school. Like that is not, I think what people think of me when I walk in, in my air force ones. Um, but <laughs> you know, I think I've, I've been really grateful for that space lately. I mean, to the point where uh, my uh, ex's brother and I had about an hour and a half long conversation. He's also in ministry and we happen to be in this small group together. And he just said, hey, like, I would love to hear from you. And, and we just sat and had this beautiful conversation. And I think the giftedness of me having not gone to an eight and not having just dismissed everyone in the room. Yeah. Um, an unhealthy eight, a healthy eight is great, but an unhealthy eight will just kind of say, you guys are all dumb. This is not right. Um, it has been such a gift because now I'm in relationship with people that I never thought I'd be in relationship with. And they're experiencing a female pastor and they're like, you know, cause there are guys in the room that I know for a fact, when I was invited to join the lead pastors group, were like, I don't believe in women in ministry. Yeah. And there were other guys in the room who said, yeah, but if she's not at the table, I'm not coming. And so, <laughs> Good. but yeah. Those guys are awesome. So I think in this experience, having reacted in a way that um, was was really open to relationship has really been profound for a couple of us. Like I've had four or five like hour or longer than hour conversations about this stuff, but I'm coming at it from a different perspective than I was a couple months ago because I think the lesson that I learned in my personal relationship, um, I didn't know that then. I didn't know it through the breakup was really that I had – I'd taken on characteristics that kind of weren't me. Mm -hmm. And um, I was being a bit of an asshole, if yeah. I'm honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, part of what you're describing to Sarah is this. Um, so probably five or six years ago, I was out, I was out on a run. And I was listening to Krista Tippett. Do you ever listen to her oh, yeah, on, yeah, on yeah. Being? Yeah. And so she had this, oh, I love her. But she had this naturalist on Terry Tempest Williams, who is describing this phenomenon called the, an ecotone. Have you heard mm. of have you heard of this? No, uh -uh. All right, so it's basically what you were just describing, but it's a geological phenomenon, like, and it's the area where two adjacent ecological communities meet one another. So, like a forest and a meadow, uh, the ocean and the sand. It's like when, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, and yeah. then the ecotone is that in between place where it's not the ocean anymore, 
and it's not the sand anymore. It's sort of both. And mm. so um, tone comes from tonos, um, which means tension. So there's there's a thing there's there are there's life that only springs up in these places where you can hold the tension of the in between. Um, mm-hmm. And so that meeting with those guys that you decided to not be an eight but be a two, and the life that you're seeing from that is this idea of the ecotone. And I just think it's, it's brilliant because it's non-dualistic. It's non, you know, it, it, it avoids, well, you believe in women ministry and you don't, or you believe in the resurrection and right, you don't. Right. And it's, it like searches for a deeper and better um, narrative than the stupid dualism that we, you know, that we get into so, so often. Well, part so. of my story of being a United Methodist clergy member is that I never have felt like I fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of that is moving from a different country. Part of that is my mom's British, my dad's Canadian, and so we we're a different, you know. We're I'm a I'm British Southern Canadian. John says I'm brother Canadian, um, and you can <laughs> brother Canadian, and you can hear it in my accent because sometimes it's Canadian, sometimes it's British, sometimes it's you know Southern. If I'm really tired, it's Southern. Um, but say say. I, Say process in a in a southern accent though. I mean, I, I, I don't know that you can pull process. that off. <laughs> I can't. No, my mom. Did you? Yo, know, you listen yeah. to all the episodes. Yeah. Is my mom not the oh, cutest human? So sweet. Oh my gosh. She's the cute, like just an incredible person. She's incredible. My family's. I'm so lucky. But uh, I think I've never felt like I fit in. So yeah. when I when I became Methodist and all the pomp and circumstances and all the formality of it. You know, I, I, my ordination, my best friends came to my ordination and it was John who's six foot nine, who was wearing a Bill Murray shirt, the, the Bill Murray shirt. Yeah. My, um, one of my best, uh, girlfriends who is, uh, one of the executives at Tumblr, one of her, like our other best friend who is an actor who, you know, is, pretty well known in the LGBT community. He is like, he was famous for being on full house as a kid. I mean, it was like the weirdest <laughs> troop of people. And those were my, those are my humans, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so I, and you look at who all my, you know, everyone else is wearing like a power suit, Yeah. you know, for their ordination. And I'm like, I don't even, do I own pantyhose? Like I, it was the weirdest <laughs> experience. So I never felt like I fit in. So I joined a church out here, uh, that was really, uh, has great music, sexy worship leaders. Cause you gotta have like a oh, guy yeah. with a solid, deep crew neck, B- you know, just time. giving D- us a V D yeah, deep v. V. and giving us just like a little tattoo realness. Like, just like <laughs> I might have a past, um, you know, I just I eat that up. Uh, <laughs> the number of worship pastors I've dated. Um, but I think it, it was like, I needed to find community that was around my own age and the method church out here in California, just like, a lot of people are older. Now my community is quite young, but the communities that I was a part of were quite older. So I joined this other church. That's actually where I met John. And I, so I would be, I'm a, I am a pastor with a MDiv from Duke. I am 25 years old. I'm attending a church that doesn't even really know how they feel about women in ministry. I'm in their but small sexy group. Sexy worship leaders. Yeah. But sexy worship leaders, uh, with, guys who are like telling me all about like what they think. And I'm, I decided like, sometimes I'd be like, Oh my gosh, they think they made that up. That's Irenaeus. Or like sometimes <laughs> in my head, I'd just be like, that's Athanasius. Like, you know, like yeah, all yeah, this yeah. sort of thing. And then I'm like, okay, no, like hold it down. Don't show what you know, mm-hmm. don't be the know-it-all kind of just like be present to like the people around you. And so for five and a half years, I went to this church because wow. there were people my age. It was music I liked. Um, I was hoping, you know, maybe I'd meet my significant other there. Like I wanted to fit in so bad. And I look around and there's all these girls who I like thought, oh, I want to be like, why can't I just be a normal girl? Mm-hmm. Why can't I, you know, because a lot of these guys were graduating from local Bible colleges and, you know, then they meet me and it's like, I'm so <laughs> like, I might look like the hipster girl, but I'm the one who's like, yeah, like I was just reading Origin. Yeah, and yeah, like- <laughs> I was just about to say like... <laughs> You know, Origin believed in universalism in the third yeah, century. Yeah. So, what do you think about Kierkegaard? You yeah. know, like I just, um, I think I was really struggling, and so I was a barista at this church. And the weird part is, in this pastors group, is one of the pastors uh, from that church. Yeah, and wow. he, 
he gather he gathers us as a as a group. And after this really um, sort of polarizing meeting happened, he called me and he was just like, "I I need you at the table. Mm. Um, what you bring is so important." And it felt like this moment of uh, redemption for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, a moment where I, you know, why I love that church and why I always say that church and I broke up was that I couldn't fully be me there. Yeah. Um, and by that, I mean, I couldn't be a, a woman who's called to preach. Um, and as much as sometimes I hate that, I don't love that I'm called to preach. Um, sometimes I wish I could just be the person just sitting in a pew, like love and life. I think that was what was exciting for me about uh, dating the guy I was dating was like, I imagined me going to his church and I could just be at his church, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that would be really exciting for me. Uh, yeah. Like, like, did you dream like, I'm going to be writer, speaker, traveler person, and I'm not going to be lead pastor anymore. And I could like, did you ever I think, think that? I don't think I thought I would fully let go of my ministry. I just know like his community are more like they worship on Saturdays and Sundays. So mm. I imagined on Saturdays I could be part of that. And on Sundays, if I, I could be back in my community or, right. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I had some of that maybe in my head. Um, I think I am called in this season to run this church, which is a bizarre, some of that's come from the Sandra Liss work. Yeah. Um, but as I was talking with this pastor about like my story or whatever I said, I should probably tell you, I, I actually know you. And he was, <laughs> you know, he's known me like obviously through ministry. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, I went to your church when you were at that other church and sort of told my story. And he was like, you just sat through our sermons and we're just like <laughs> chilling. And I was like, yeah. yeah, I was like, I just badly wanted to fit in and I never could in your community. And he was like, that breaks my heart. Wow. Like, Cause now here I am learning from you and we mm. are in community together. Mm. And the realization that my, the tent wasn't big enough, uh, is heartbreaking for me. Yeah. He's like, cause I could have learned so much from you. And I was like, I just wasn't in a space then, mm. um, or confident enough to say like, Hey, I, you know, I've done some of the work on this. Like I would love to walk alongside you. And the same is true for me when I'm in like the Methodist church. I, you know, I was recently at a meeting where they kept saying the millennial and I just stood up and I was like, well, first of all, <laughs> the millennial has three kids and a mortgage. Mm-hmm. Like if you're gunning for us, like that ship has sailed, you know, mm-hmm. not the ship yeah. has sailed. Gotta understand, we are not these young hipsters anymore. Yeah. I mean, we still wear toms, but like we're, <laughs> you know, like we're like this is ten years ago, friends. Like we need to talk about much more. So I think I feel always in the liminal space, or always where those eco, you know, that makes total sense to me. Yeah. I feel. I explained it to my friend uh, Mike McCarg, who's a he's a podcast yeah, host. Yeah. He's, yeah, I've had him on the podcast. Show. I love I love science, Mike. Mike is so yeah. great. Literally probably one of my closest friends. Wow. Um, yeah, just super, I was actually chatting with his wife this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, super blessed to have him in my life. And Mike and I were talking about how I often feel as though I'm hand, holding hands um, between two sides. Yeah. And it feels sometimes like my arms are being ripped off or like Stretch Armstrong from back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I'm really, I don't know, I'm, I, Sometimes it makes me sad to have to be in the space, but I also feel like there's really, it's holy ground. Um, because people, it's that, you know, ministry of disarming. Yeah. Um, I think I'm, I'm little, you know, I'm five, four, so I'm not very like huge. Uh, I have a big personality in some ways, but I think my ability to be, you know, even my feminine presence in, in that room changes the room. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just a weird, and so I, I honor that space, and I take that, I take that role really seriously. And so I didn't get up and walk out when everything in me was like, "This is so like you want to throw up," right? Because some of the stuff they were saying was against the very people that God has called me to love, mm-hmm. and and like and and it was a lie. That some of it was lies, yeah. like just straight up lies. And I I could have made that scene. And then I thought, no, 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 no. The more difficult work, the more challenging work is to sit in the space. Um, yeah. And out from that, apparently, like as I was, as an event was getting over. Um, oh, by the way, I have to tell you how it ended because this is going to make you want to pee your pants. Are you ready? <laughs> so after listening to a bunch of stuff that like was really difficult for me to hear um, and for me to understand that these people were wanting my church to sign up on. 
the lead guy of, of the ministry that had hosted this speaker gets up and he says, I just want to let you know about a couple other events we have guys like, um, we're just so excited. Like our, our wives are going to join together for a pastor's wives luncheon. And, uh, we would just love like, so your wives can just get together and just like understand. And you're like, in what the room, means. you're in the room as I'm he's the saying room. these things. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm in the room. Then he looks at me and goes, Sarah, yeah, you should totally go to this. You should oh totally go to this. Gosh. I am a cisgender heterosexual white woman, but I wanted to say, can my wife? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but my. I've just gone through this experience. And so the pastor that actually we had ridden together, he like kind of ushers me out the door and I yeah. look at him and the other, the other pastor kind of runs after me. He's like, Sarah, I'm serious. You would so be oh, welcome into this space and a chance for you, like just fellowship with other women. Oh my gosh. And I was like, and he's like, it's a tea. And it's just like, I think oh you would gosh. love it. Like, and I was just like, I, I can't like, <laughs> I yeah. didn't know what to do. And I got in the car and I was like, how lovely is it though? That like, he wanted me to be present to this, but like, you still don't get it, bro. <laughs> yeah. Well that, I mean, as I hear you talking, Sarah, like what, what, what I'm thinking about is like, we live in such an algorithm world, right? Where we, you know, we, we like what we like and we get more of what we like. And so to sit in that environment and not to get all self-righteous, even though you could have, and, and you would have been totally justified in doing so, my gosh. But to say how lovely it is that I could be in that kind of environment with someone that's that different and that, oh, how lovely he was for inviting me. I mean, that is different level stuff that we need right now because we are so, everyone is so uh, afraid and they're running mm -hmm. to the extremes and they're running to what's comfortable and they're, and I say they, we, I running to what we like running to, you know, where we hide ourselves from anything that's different. And I think especially in the realm of spirituality right now, um, we, we just have to sit in those rooms, right? I mean, it's so uncomfortable. Um, it's so uncomfortable and it's so what Jesus did. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not exactly like, obviously this was not the cross, but it was, it is that feeling of like, all right, what is what does power look like? Yeah. Okay. In this moment, power looks like subverting my power. It's like, I feel like what the work I'm doing is, it's almost like I, I get why my community exists now. And, and Sondra Lust and all this work that I've been doing, I, I understand what it's about, but man, I want my story mm -hmm. to like reflect that. Like I always joke, like, um, I have a huge crush on, uh, the pitcher for the Detroit tar Tigers, Daniel Norris. Um, and this is the first time I'm going public with this. Um, he, <laughs> so if he listens, I'm sure he does. Oh yeah, uh, sure he does. I mean, there's abs. I'm he, huge in Detroit. Yeah, he. <laughs> <laughs> I'm huge in Sweden, which is random. Yeah. Um, well, he, speaker, yeah. you know the earbuds and songs. I mean, come on. Oh, come on now. Come on. So now. he he uh, he lives in his van uh, most of the year, and he. Uh, like he has like a Volkswagen van that he lives in when he's not pitching and he surfs and he uh, is a Christian, but he, every city he pitches in, he goes, he's a really good photographer and he takes pictures of the homeless community. Mm -hmm. And then he like sits and like just sort of journals one person's story. Wow. And then he, uh, no, he makes a lot of money obviously as a pitcher, but he sends all of that to his accountant who only pays him like a living wage. Mm -hmm. Um, and then he takes the money and he like sends kids to camp and he lives like literally lives in his van. Uh, he actually had to sign a contract that he would no longer um, live in his van during the season because they were like, your arm is worth like eight million dollars. <laughs> we cannot and, insure that arm if it's in a Volkswagen van. Right. And so we were kidding around at my co-working space. A bunch of us were having lunch one day and I was like, I just keep telling God, like, how could I glorify his name? if Daniel Norris and I were married, I feel like <laughs> our story, <laughs> which is awesome. like, think about like the power of that guys. Like what if the story is that then they're like, that's, yeah, yeah, that's clear, it. clear, that's clear. It's like, so yeah, clear. But then I also realized that that sounded a little stalkerish and I've never, I've never been one to have like celebrity crushes. That's just never been my thing, but I don't know why this guy, he's like way too young for me, but this guy, like, the way he lives his life is so 
And I was telling my friend that the other day and he's like, oh, geez. He's like, that guy sounds like the worst. He's like, this is, he's like, how am I supposed to live up to this? Yeah. He's like, my wife is going to like find out about this guy. Then I look like a turd. Yeah, that's what I would hate. <laughs> we would all hate this guy in real life. I mean, such a, no. Yeah, he's such uh, a good human. So yeah, that's my hope yeah. is like my story. I don't, I love that it's about other people and I love that it's about drawing people into like finding their joy. Yeah. But part of it is like, man, six months in, I got to tell you, I hope at the end of this that I do figure out how I can both have a life that feels like a normal person yeah. and continue this life. Because I would love, I mean, I really do. At, at this age, I, I want someone to, I have all these adventures yeah. and I want someone to do them with. Yeah. And I've never been that honest about that before. That was part of the podcast. Like I actually told John, I was like, I don't really want to talk about dating. And you know what everyone wants to talk to me about? <laughs> of dating. course. Yeah, of course. Like people yeah. are like, when is she going to start dating again? I'm like, oh. oh, because for me, it's just so, it's got so much pain in it and it's got, um, yeah, it's got a lot of sadness. Uh, and so we'll see how God's writing the story, how we're writing the story together. Yeah. Cause it's definitely, not one that I ever would have expected. And yeah. it's never made sense. Well, um, Sarah, oh my gosh, we're out of time. But I I love your podcast and this conversation. I love yours. Well, this conversation was so um, beautiful, helpful, inspiring, encouraging to me. Um, every Thank once you. in a while, it's like I, you know, I interview someone where we haven't met before, we haven't talked before, but it seems like, oh my gosh, we could talk for four hours. Yeah, that's us. <laughs> um, so thank you so much. Uh, oh, you're so welcome. And I am going to point people. So everybody, just just search Sonder Lost the Podcast. You can find it on iTunes or you can Google it and it'll come up on the web. There's a there's Stitcher, a, Google Play, all the things. All those things. And if you haven't, you know, uh, if you have not listened to it, start at the beginning. Start because this is very much. It's almost like a serial. I mean, it really go like you have to, you can't just mm -hmm. start it in the middle. You have to start at the beginning nope. and you'll have the added bonus of not having to wait two weeks, which is my biggest bummer, like two weeks. I Come know every on. other week. And we're, I know we're trying to, so we're doing a Kickstarter so that we can raise, we're hoping to raise enough money that we can go every week or wow. go like every other week with like a little. Like maybe bonus, just a little, little teaser, little John and I episode in the middle where it's like literally just listening to us <laughs> argue over the phone. That would be um, awesome. And it wouldn't even really need a topic. It would, a just, no. it would just be like, no. just press record unedited. And oh my God, there is a file in my podcast files that says <laughs> John and Sarah's shenanigans. And our, <laughs> I just, we just let our editors like dip in there. Cause it'll be like, us arguing over David Hasselhoff, like they're just like. They're... But that could be Kickstarter bonuses, you know. Like if yep. you if you hit you know this amount, you get you get one one of the files, you know. So, what a great idea! Okay, because yeah. again, I'm meeting with my marketing team. I'm excited about it, but I self promotion uh, as a two, yeah, is not my thing. Man, well, I'm a three, so. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really okay with way. that, but no, that is a good idea. I mean, you, if you have that stuff, like have that be a, have that be a category where people get, you know, bonus material and, um, cause I, I love it. I love the podcast. Thank I love you. where you're going and I, I Thank love, you. well, you're welcome. I mean, I even love, I love hearing even more of, uh, even more of your heart, um, during this last Thank hour. You. So Yay, yay, yay. I will send this far and wide. Everybody listen to please, Reverend please. Sarah Heath. That's me. <laughs> and uh, I'll put all your Instagram and all that. Although you are on a social media fast. I mean, it won't be by the time this comes out, but you currently are on a social media fast. Yeah, I'm I'm black, dude. I'm like, I'm gone. <laughs> like, I've gone dark. I'm, I'm blacked out. Yeah, I did that I, for Lent, I, honestly, 40 days. And it was it was really good for me. It was really good. Today was, yeah, it's been really, really good. Today was a little hard because my dog is so stinking adorable at the yeah. beach. And I'm like, the whole world should see this. <laughs> but uh, I just texted it to a bunch of people. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. The, the workaround from the social media fast is to text yeah. pictures. Um, well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I would love to come on again after Daniel Norris and I get engaged. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. 
actually, I don't think that'll be the story, but something, I think God's got something. So <laughs> with we'll Daniel see. Norris, for sure. Um, for sure. Yeah. This is going to be really creepy when I meet him because the problem in my life is that I usually end up meeting these people. Like if I joke around about, yeah, oh, yeah, I want to yeah, know yeah. so-and-so and, and like, I'll be hey, like, I heard that podcast. Sorry about being a creepy old lady that thought you were cute. <laughs> well, hey, Sarah, let's um, – how about you come back on after the year is over? And I we'll love just it. do – we'll do an update. We'll do, you know, what have you learned since then? And um, that would be really, really fun. So Thank you so much. 